0: My name is Neil Korobov, and I am a professor of psychology at the University of West Georgia. In some way or another, all poems have something to offer. But few poems are able to move elegantly between the peculiarities of a given moment and broader universal truths. Few poems are able to be that proud flesh that Jane Hirschfield speaks of flesh that grows back across a wound with a great vehemence, more strong than the simple, untested surface before. Great poems are the ones you can't unhear. You are changed the minute you hear them, and over time they become a kind of proud flesh that is time-tested and enduring. For me, the poetry of David White Is exactly that. Living Together by David White. We are like children in the master's violin shop, not yet allowed to touch the tiny planes or the rare wood, but given brooms to sweep the farthest corners. Of the room, to gather shavings, mop spilled resins, and watch with apprehension the tender curves emerging from apprenticed hands. The master rarely shows himself, but whenever he does, he demonstrates a concentrated ease so different from the willful accumulation of experience we have come to expect. A stripping away, a direct Appreciation of all the elements we are bound one day to find beneath our hands. He stands in our minds so clearly now, his confident back caught in the light from pale clerestory windows, and we note the way the slight tremor of his palms disappears the moment they encounter wood. In this light, we hunger for maturity, see it not as stasis, but a form of love. We want the stillness and confidence of age, the space between self and all the objects of the world honored and defined. The possibility that everything left alone can ripen of its own accord. All passionate transformations arranged only through innocent meetings, one to another. The way we see resin allowed to seep into the wood, in the wood's own secret time. We intuit our nature's becoming resonant with one another according to the grain of the way we are made, nothing forced or wanted, until it ripens in our own expectant hands. But for now, in the busy room, we stand in the child's first shy witness of one another and see ourselves again, gladly and always, falling in love with our future. David White has probably been the most central poetic inspiration for me over the last 10 or 15 years. In fact, if it were not for his unique voice, um, I'd likely not have found my own, and I probably wouldn't be doing this project, to be quite honest. For about 20 years or so, David White has been developing a vast body of his own work, including a dozen or so books of poetry and prose. But what he is mostly known for these days are his recorded sort of TED-type talks and interviews and seminars that he hosts that focus on what he calls the conversational nature of reality. He is incredibly lucid and erudite, deeply philosophical and poetic, and easily one of the most engaging speakers I've ever listened to. And his Irish accent doesn't hurt. Uh, his dynamic ability to recite poetry in his talks is what many of us have grown to love about him. If there was such a thing as an internationally known poet rock star right now, David White would be that person. I knew I would work with at least one of his poems. Um, it's not easy to choose which one. In my own teaching, I routinely use about 10 of his poems. And in the end, here for this project, I I may only discuss one of his poems for these recordings, but that's because his influence seeps through in everything else I say about the other poems. If you're familiar with David Wyatt, you'll easily hear his voice in my own, and I'm happy about that too. I don't mind it. One of the difficulties with using his poems for this project is that they pack so much in. While most of the other poems I work with chip off a piece or two of this iceberg, David White's poems usually are the iceberg, and so I chose his poem Living Together because it nicely illuminates at least three key areas that are central in teaching well. First, it asks us to think about teaching as a particular form of apprenticeship. Second, it asks us to think about teaching as a call to maturity or love, and thirdly, It offers us a view of teaching as a form of ripening. What ties all three of these themes together is, I think, a certain mark of courage, which I think of as the clear and committed, heartfelt engagement and participation with life. As White himself says, To be courageous is not necessarily to go anywhere or do anything, except to make conscious those things we already feel deeply, and then to live through the unending vulnerabilities of those consequences. This poem focuses on apprenticeship. Apprenticeship is typically thought of as a kind of skills training, teaching somebody to perform a set of skills better or more variably or more efficient over time as part of a job. But here in this poem, it's not that. White is thinking of apprenticeship as a kind of maturation of the heart, a tender watching and witnessing of another with apprehension and deep curiosity. A witnessing not of the willful accumulation of experiential knowledge we have come to expect, as the poem says, but rather what he calls a stripping away and a kind of deep appreciation of a concentrated ease that allows the slight tremor of our hands, that is our fears and insecurities and disabilities, to disappear the moment our palms touch wood, that is the moment we lose ourselves the ordinary tremor disappears, and we find ourselves caught up in the flow of doing the very thing we love, the very thing we feel we are called to do here in this world. This is a poem about apprenticing ourselves to this kind of engagement, an engagement marked by deep noticing and wholeheartedness. David White sees apprenticeship as an openness to being molded, as we are all compost, for worlds we cannot yet imagine. I think of the line from Mary Oliver's where she calls us to let the soft animal of our body love what it loves. An invitation not to hedonism, but rather a letting free of our heart to pursue love in its elemental fullness. I think this poem is monumentally important for teachers, especially given our current educational system. William Butler Yeats reminds us that education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. We are sadly so far from that sentiment now. Our current educational system is often a narrowing of the richness of our students' personalities. Our students are nowadays rewarded within a very narrow world of intellectual naming. They learn to name things in particular ways and not others as part of the academic training of preferred vocabularies. And so this becomes a strategy for knowing the world, which often, and unfortunately, becomes an identity for living in the world. And this is a far cry from the identity of the children here in the violin shop in White's poem. So to realize how constrained we are is a first step, and it's huge, for growth, and it's a gift. And thinking about how students grow, Emerson said, people wish to be settled, but only as far as they are unsettled is there any hope for them. Only insofar as our intellectual heritage is not simply about inheriting constrained and settled vocabularies of naming and is instead about remaining open and unsettled and curious do we have any hope. So just seeing the controlled folly of how our educational system conceptualizes learning and apprenticeship is the first step. White repeatedly tells us that real learning, real learning and real apprenticeship isn't about naming things too closely, but actually it is just the opposite. David White is as much a psychologist philosopher as a poet, and so he repeatedly shows us how language like poetry is actually more precise as a language for understanding the phenomenology of existence. Science eliminates the subjective eye and creates ritualized circumstances in the form of experimentation procedures for creating the illusion that you've eliminated the eye. But good poetry tries to include both what you are witnessing and the witnesser and create a conversation where both are transformed, which is quite close to the edge of what's happening in postmodern physics, where we can see how the elements and electrons behave differently depending on whether you are looking at them or not. This is radical interrelationship and radical interdependency between the objects of our gaze and those who are doing the gazing. This reminds me of another of David White's poems called Working Together, which is a close cousin of living together. And so I should read it here. Um, In working together, he speaks of this interdependence. And he says, We shape ourselves to fit the world, and by the world are shaped again. We shape ourselves to fit this world, and by the world are shaped again. The visible and the invisible working together in common cause to produce the miraculous. I'm thinking of the way the intangible air traveled at speed round a wing easily holds our weight. I'm thinking of the way the intangible air, traveled at speed round a shaped wing, easily holds our weight. So may we in this life trust to those elements we have yet to see or imagine, and look for the true shape of our own self by forming it well to the great intangibles about us. And so I think of apprenticeship as a coming home into a beautifully familiar condensed strangeness to the great intangibles about us. When we are in an apprentice state of awareness, we are on the hunt for impending revelation where something is about to happen, including, most fearfully, and as part of our eventual arrival, our own disappearance. Like the way the slight tremor of the master's hands disappear when they encounter love, when we learn through apprenticeship, our old identities, the ones that have learned to know through narrow naming, also disappear. And so apprenticeship is a way of thinking about education as the lighting of a fire or a longing that has a dangerous edge, one that cuts and wounds us while setting us free and beckons us exactly because of this human need to awaken the foundational instinct that we are here essentially to risk ourselves in the world, that we are a form of invitation to others and to otherness, that we are meant to hazard ourselves for the right kind of learning. This poem also invites us to think about teaching as an act of maturity or love. In this light, he says, we hunger for maturity, see it not as stasis, but a form of love. And not a static or fixed or arrived at state of maturation, but as an ever evolving and expanding and disappearing flow of love and loving. That's a radical idea. The great Zen teacher Thich Nhat Hanh has a beautiful line about love. He says, To love without knowing how to love wounds the person we love. To love without knowing how to love wounds the person we love. I think the same is true for teaching. To teach without knowing how to teach or what is worth teaching Wounds the people we teach. And I don't think learning to teach well is about a set of skills. Again, White's poem is a cautionary tale against that. Teaching is about bringing your best gifts. It's about love. White says, We can never know in the beginning, in giving ourselves to a work or a person, to a marriage or a cause, exactly what kind of love we are involved with. The act of loving itself always becomes a path of humble apprenticeship, not only in following its difficult way and discovering its different, different forms of humility and beautiful abasement, but strangely through its fierce introduction to all its many astonishing and different forms where we are asked continually and against our will to give in so many different ways without knowing exactly or in what way when or how the mysterious gift will be returned. It's a beautiful statement about what it is like to love as a teacher or parent or partner. Love as a path of humble apprenticeship, one that involves humility and humiliation. Why? Well, because loving this way requires a lot of honesty and admitting where we are powerless to control the the way the path of apprenticeship will unfold. White says, honesty is grounded in humility and indeed in humiliation, and in admitting exactly where we are powerless. Honesty is not found in revealing the truth, but in understanding how deeply afraid of it we are. To become honest is, in effect, to become fully and robustly incarnated into powerlessness. Honesty allows us to live with not knowing. Honesty is not protection. Honesty is not a weapon to keep loss and heartbreak at bay. Honesty is the outer diagnostic of our ability to come to ground in reality, the hardest attainable ground of all, the place where we actually dwell, the living, breathing frontier, where we are given no choice between gain or loss. And so again, we find in this poem, David White's trademark way Of wrapping together the idea of apprenticeship as a way of remaining continually open, and seeing that aperture, that radical openness, as synonymous with maturity or love, both requiring courage and deep honesty. He talks about maturity as the ability to live fully and equally in multiple contexts. It calls us to see the process of education here as a mature way of risking ourselves for larger horizons, for a powerfully generous outward incarnation of our inward qualities, not, and not, for intellectual gains that inevitably make us small. This poem has also as one of its key elements, the idea of ripening, which I find really important. He says, we want the possibility that everything left alone can ripen of its own accord. The way we see resin allowed to seep into the wood in the wood's own secret time, nothing forced or wanted until it ripens in our own expected hands. I am reminded of the famous lao Tzu quote, When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. When the student is truly ready, the teacher will disappear. The appearance of help and companionship when we are ready for it to ripen in our own expected hands, and as well, its eventual disappearance when we no longer need it. I think most obviously this speaks to the ripening of the student's own capacity and desire to grow and mature. But I think ripening works in the other direction, too. That the the teacher's own gifts and own capacity and desire to see their teaching as a form of love also ripens in its own secret time. In the introduction to these talks, I mentioned the idea that teaching is the harvesting of one's gifts, not strategies. I think we begin as teachers with inherited strategies that we think will work well in the classroom, but over time, we see that loving what we do and ensuring its longevity and joy means finding ways to teach not from our strategies, but our gifts, from those ways that we are wholehearted, which allows our teaching to become less effortful and more seamless and natural. But it's not necessarily easier, just more natural. You are using not just what you know, but who you are. And so there is a natural art and a feeling of fullness and authenticity to your presence. Jane Hirschfield has a beautiful poem that goes nicely with this, that is also called Riteness, that echoes these ideas. It reads, "Ripeness is what falls away with ease. Not only the heavy apple, the pear, but also the dried brown strands of autumn iris from their core. To let your body love this world that gave itself to your care in all of its ripeness with ease and will take itself from you in equal ripeness and ease is also harvest. And however sharply you are tested, this sorrow, that great love, it too will leave on that clean night. She captures the elemental quality of ripeness so nicely. Ripeness is what falls away with ease. We want that kind of natural ripening, that clean-edgedness. David White also has another lovely poem that further elaborates on this ripening process, and I'll end with it here. It's called Winter Apple. It reads, Let the apple ripen on the branch beyond your need to take it down. Let the coolness of autumn and the breathing, blowing wind test its adherence to endurance. Let the others fall. Wait longer than you would. Go against yourself. Find the pale nobility of quiet that ripening demands. Find the pale nobility of quiet. That ripening demands. Watch with patience as the silhouette emerges and leaves fall. See it become a solitary roundedness against a graying sky. Let winter come and the first frost threaten. And then wake one morning to see the breath of winter has haloed its redness with light. So that a full two months after you should have taken the apple down, you hold it in your closed hand at last and bite into the cool sweetness spread evenly through every single atom of a pale and yielding structure, so that you taste on that cold gray day not only the after reward of patience remembered, not only the summer sunlight of a postponed perfection, but the sweet inward stillness of the weight itself. Living Together by David White We are like children in the master's violin shop not yet allowed to touch the tiny planes or the rare wood, but given brooms to sweep the farthest corners of the room, to gather shavings, mop-spilled resins, and watch with apprehension the tender curves emerging from apprenticed hands. The master rarely shows himself, but whenever he does, he demonstrates a concentrated ease so different from the willful accumulation of experience we have come to expect. A stripping away, a direct appreciation of all the elements we are bound, one day, to find beneath our hands. He stands in our minds so clearly now, his confident back caught in the light from pale clerestory windows, and we note the way the slight tremor of his palms disappears the moment they encounter wood. In this light we hunger for maturity, see it not as stasis, but a form of love. We want the stillness and confidence of age, the space between self and all the objects of the world honored and defined, the possibility that everything left alone can ripen of its own accord. All passionate transformations arranged only through innocent meetings, one to another. The way we see resin allowed to seep into the wood, in the wood's own secret time. We intuit our natures becoming resonant with one another according to the grain of the way we are made, nothing forced or wanted, until it ripens in our own expectant heat. But for now, in the busy room, we stand in the child's first shy witness of one another and see ourselves again, gladly and always falling in love with our future. So far from who I was, from The poem, Living Together, by David White is from his book, The Sea You. A special thanks to the University of West Georgia for providing the time and resources needed to create this project.